G'day everyone and welcome to the Talk Power podcast. This is episode 32. Regretfully, when we recorded this episode, we had some audio issues and uh, the audio quality isn't to our normal standard. Our apologies for that. We've since found the issue and rectified this and we will continue to bring you further podcasts in our normal standard. Uh, however, please accept our apologies and um, episode 32 probably doesn't sound as good as all of our other podcasts but uh, we've decided to release it in any event. So take care, everyone, and uh, once again, our apologies, and we hope to keep hearing from you. Recorded live in Balcata, Western Australia, the hoon capital of the world, this is Talkin' Power. Gap is what happens uh, when you hold to the floor and crush the man next to you. There's space in between your back bumper and your front bumper. We, uh, in the South, we refer to it as the Gap Band. Well, I think, you know, Formula One is for grown-ups. Welcome to episode 32 of the Talk and Power podcast. I am Nick DeCembri and I'm here with co-host Simon Gonzo Travellini. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Yourself? Oh, I'm very good, actually. Yeah. Been a good couple of weeks. It's a Lots long happening. weekend. Yeah, it was a long weekend long over weekend. here in WA, so um, got up to a little bit. Not, not a hell of a lot, but yeah. And yourself? Oh, I've visited a few relatives. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. WA day? Uh... No, on the Sunday. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. On the Monday, we did nothing. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. It was nice to do. Yeah, it was good. It was good. But, you know, with the change of weather, mm. Nicholas was a little bit under oh, yeah. the weather. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of thunderstorms and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Anyway. Fair enough. Bit of a storm unraveling over at um, Tesla, actually. Yeah. Well, look, um, a lot of problems there. Mm. Uh, apparently, the bolts holding the steering together are corroding. Mm. Um, now, now this probably doesn't affect our climate, mm. but they're going to recall all the cars fitted with those bolts. Yep. So, what it is for those of you that uh, you know don't know this, when you get snow, they spray all sorts of salt and magnesium and so on and so forth on the road to you know get rid of the snow, basically. Mm. And uh, apparently, uh, it, it's it's accelerating the wear yep. uh, or corrosion, I should say, on these bolts. And that could possibly, they're saying that they haven't actually had a recorded occurrence of it, but it could possibly uh, cause a steering failure. Yeah. But they haven't actually had a steering failure occur, even though a couple of cars have crashed mm. for no apparent reason. Well, it's, it's, up, it's up for debate on whether those, those ones that have crashed, actually someone has actually died in one, and the other day one has just crashed into a police car. So yes. It's up for question on whether they But, but you know what? I want to buy one even more now mm. because you could deliberately crash into someone and go, I, I don't know what happened. <laughs> it just, just crashed. You know, the thing is, there's been a lot of talk. If you if you Google this, you'll see there's a lot of talk about, oh, you know, Tesla's in trouble. Shares are going to crash. You know, and there's been been a bit of a dive mm. in their share value. Um, so their, their shares today, the last time I checked, were at $291, right? Now... Anyone out there that's got Tesla shares that's whinging about this, right? Oh, stand in the mirror and slap yourself in the face, right? Because you know what the shares were listed at when he floated the company? You know what they listed no. at? $19.20. Wow. It's amazing. <laughs> it doesn't seem like a bad investment. No, no. His 20,000 flamethrowers are going out today or tomorrow, actually. Now, yes, they, they, tried, to, they tried to block these in mm. California, trying yeah. to introduce some new legislation to stop them. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that the, the name of the company that they were sold under. Boring. Boring. <laughs> boring. Nothing boring about a flamethrower, personally. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever made one. Not that I've ever made one. No, no, no. I, haven't, I haven't made one. <laughs> I think that's born out of the boring, where they're making the tunnels in Los Angeles. Uh, I think it's come from there, the boring. Right. So it's interesting 
You see, they may have some de delivery difficulties because DHL and FedEx have basically said uh, they will not have a bar. That's all right. These He's got it covered because he'll just shoot them up with SpaceX mm. and just let them rain down. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what, you know who might have needed some parts for that off that uh, roadster was Daniel Ricciardo at the last <laughs> Grand Prix. Mate, what a stellar performance. It was an awesome performance. Given that he was 160 horsepower, thereabouts, down on power, he, um, with the, the MG UK ABCDFG system. Mm, yeah, failed. Pete, Pete Manu, the, the Pete Manu failed on him on lap 28. So it was fairly, look, I mean, it's a, it was a long race. It's fairly early into the race, lap 28. This, this um, is by far my favourite race. Mm. You know, the noise must be incredible as they go through that tunnel. Yeah, unbelievable. I know you're you're not a you're not a big fan of it. You know, no. you know, sort of rated as no. you know, you don't see the picturesque side of it and all the billionaires and all the no. yachts and everything. No, don't get into that at all. No, no, no. I don't have a yacht. Don't have a yacht. I don't want to have one either. <laughs> don't have any. <laughs> what about a billion bucks? Would you take that? I'll take that any <laughs> day. I'll take that any day. So really, it was his driving mm. that that um, you know he he qualified pole. Right, led the race wire to wire. Um, why we we we've said that he's one of the best out there in the paddy. Yeah, and he's proven it. You know, managing to keep Vettel off, mm. down on power. Incredible drive. Incredible yeah. drive. I think the tyres played too much of a part in this race. So Pirelli really came to this this venue with probably not the best set of tyres for the for the field, and Vettel's tyres were. Shot to pieces. I mean, that on the restart, there was still, I can't remember how many laps to go, but there was still a number of laps, and he showed Vettel a clean set of hills and even got back marks between him and Vettel, and, and, and that was it. He was out of there. Yeah. So, yeah, well, he had to. Mm. He had to. And that yeah. was the disappointment. And it, I mean, in saying that, Hamilton really didn't inflict too much damage on Vettel either. So the, further back in the field, even though he was down on power significantly, um, he wasn't really, he didn't. Didn't feel the effects of it, let's put it that way. A lot of talk about he was only able to get six of the eight gears. Well, they only used seven at Monaco yeah. anyway, so. Yeah. So some some uh, changes afoot in Formula 1. They're talking about going from the 13-inch tyres they currently, currently mm. run. When you see those cars, you think those tyres are massive until you're standing next to them and realise hey, they're actually pretty small. Pretty small. They are yeah. very small. They look actually, like yeah. the cars actually look more like an overgrown go-kart mm. than, you know, a racing car. Yeah. They're talking about going from the 13s to the 18s because... The tyre manufacturers feel that it's more relevant nowadays and, and the technology could be closer to the production car yeah. technology. It'll be interesting to see how that all pans out because I would imagine that, that a, a large portion, and that's a lot of sidewall difference. I imagine a lot Huge. of yeah, a lot of the suspension now would be in the tyre sidewall. They're looking at they're talking about bringing this in in 2020, but logic should prevail here and bring it out in 2021 where they have a, a whole new. There's be a raft of changes in 2021, and a lot of them are around suspension as well. So it'd be logical to put it back another year and bring it out with a new generation of cars. But I actually like the 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 higher wall, the tire wall. I actually always like the look of it. Um, 13 inch, probably a little bit small, but I've always liked the, the, the look of a Formula One tyre and just having the higher sidewall. That's because you're stuck in the 80s, Nick. Yep. <laughs> it must be the NASCAR influence. <laughs> you reckon NASCAR? I think it's the old Kelly supercharger tyres <laughs> from back in the day, a big square tread pattern. Yeah. yeah. Look, Formula E have gone for the lower profile 18 inch rim. And, I, and, I and they look horrible. Hmm. But I, I look, I agree with... With Pirelli, it's probably more relevant in today's day and age, no doubt about it. I, I don't dispute that, but uh, I think there's some things that we can hold on to in Formula One. I wish they would hold on to that one, but anyway. It, you know, considering how stringent they are about, you know, changing transmissions, changing engines, testing, so on and so forth, it's amazing that they would want to do a change like that without a major suspension or chassis change, Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. No, I think I, I just think they'll be they'll be snooking into doing that in twenty twenty one. So I can't imagine it coming there either. The um the the look of the car is going to change dramatically. Now, I don't know if you noticed at the Indy race. Have you seen the new aero package? Mm, yeah. What's going on? The cars are wearing aprons or something now. What's yeah, that? they're all the same now. So their aero package over an Indy car is identical. Um, so arguably, 
not probably the best for the sport. I don't completely agree oh, with it, but I don't know. I mean, I think that they're getting closer to that speed racer look. Mm. You know, yeah, so the yeah. children will enjoy engage watching. With yeah, more. engage with them more. Yeah. Exactly. They'll just have to start wearing scarves and open face helmets <laughs> with bubbles. You know, I think Bell makes that helmet now with the bubble. They, they probably do. <laughs> they probably do. Speaking of IndyCar, big shout out to Australian willpower for winning. The 102nd running of the Indy 500, which I thought was... Incredible, mate. Awesome. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Yep. Um, just, I mean, great to see an Aussie, mm. but, you know, that guy has worked so hard. That whole team has worked yeah. so hard. And, you know, Australia's had a huge influence in IndyCar over mm. the years. I don't know if you know this, but the Cools team um, was Australian team. Oh, from Bunbury. From Bunbury, there yeah, you go. Yeah, the Green Brothers yeah, was from Bunbury yeah. originally. Yeah. Wow, yeah, I didn't Bunbury know they were from Bunbury. Yeah, yeah. I knew they were Australian, but mm. I was assuming they were from the East Coast. There you go, mm. it's incredible. Yeah. They, yeah. they had a phenomenal impact on Indy. Mm. So, yeah, great, great job, great was, job. Yeah. Yeah. Brian Briscoe as well, he's been done very well in Indy over the years as well. It was interesting, the race after, Mark Roos, the executive VP of global product development in General Motors, an awfully embarrassing moment at the last. So, so for those of you that haven't seen it, um, he's driving the pace car. Now, normally there is a guy that's hired by them to drive the pace car. That's his yeah. job. He's the regular pace car driver. So those cars don't, their cooling system relies on them travelling at speed yeah. and you need to keep the tyres warm and everything else. So the idea of the pace car is it gets out there and it travels at a decent rate of knots and, you know, everything stays cool and you keep tyres hot, etc. And this guy, uh, the head of product development, or yeah, something, yeah, something. Yeah. Product, global product development, right. General Motors, driving the Corvette, he's come around the corner. Now, uh, what the road does is there's a a, um, a change in the, the, the angle of the road, basically. It goes from uphill to downhill. And he's powered through the corner. And the back of the car's come up, and the car's just spun out and driven straight into the wall. One of the funniest things I've ever seen. It was seen. quite, uh, yeah. Now, considering that they talk about the Corvette, the current model Corvette, like as a Ferrari beater, I've, I've often heard it said, mm. you know, it'll smoke a 550, blah, blah, blah. Um, if you were considering buying one and you just watched how easy that just lost the rear end and, you know, someone that you would think would know how to drive, seeing as he's, you know, in charge of product development globally, just drove it straight into the wall. I don't know. You might be thinking, you know what, the Ferrari's looking good, like a good option, you know? <laughs> I tell you what, it wasn't a good look for the uh, for that for the Indy car team. So, so, so after that, they decided to get the proper pace car driver. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And there was no more incidents. Nah, and they had a backup pace car as well, they, which I was amazed by. Yeah, I think they you'd want one, wouldn't you? <laughs> wouldn't you? It was interesting in Roger Penske's uh, version of the situation. We've seen the leader at Indy spin out on the pace lap. This isn't quite as bad when you're in the race <laughs> when you're in a race car. It's too bad. But come to the racetrack and you'll see anything. So there you go for yeah. Roger himself. Endorsement there to go uh, go to Indy and watch the races. I think Roger also a team owner of Will Power's car as well. By the way, so he was there present the week before as well. All right, so. No, you're chafing at the bit to talk about it. MotoGP. MotoGP. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I am, actually. You know, I've been dodging it. Oh, have you? It, it was <laughs> quite an enjoyable. I just want to, I want, to watch, I want to watch the intensity. <laughs> no, no, I, I got a, quite a kick out of this race, to be honest. I thought it was the, one of the most enjoyable races of the year. Not because Marquez went out. I, for the first time, we've seen that he is human. Um, and he held on to that bike way, way too long, didn't he? I mean, he was trying to get it back up again, but it just wasn't getting back up. I would love to know whether he was on the elbow pad or he was... <laughs> because if he if he was on the actual arm, that would have burnt. Yeah. That would have burnt. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. really bad. There was smoke coming off his leathers. To, um, to his credit, he continued racing on. Yeah, which, which was unbelievable. Yeah. But I think he... I think that he might have done that to punish himself. Mm, yeah. You know, because um, you just, 
I mean, like you said, it, it was great to see that he is human. He mm. does make mistakes because people talk about him as if he's some sort of robot or machine or god mm. even, yeah. you know, as being infallible. But it is clear, it is clear that Yamaha really needs to do some homework. Um, you know, we, we've seen uh, the satellite teams go around the factory teams. We've seen this sort of thing happen during the course of this season and... You know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, Rossi's getting old and Vinales isn't that good, etc. But I think that there is a clear problem with that bike. And definitely at this track, you could see the clear horsepower difference between the Ducati mm. and, you know, the Yamaha. I mean, it was ridiculous. Ducati recorded a, a new MotoGP top speed. I think it was 353 kilometres an hour. 55. 55. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, so... You know, those guys need to do some homework. Um, I guess this is the thing that, that really, when you look at the history of MotoGP, Honda had the good bike. Honda, when they started with the, the four-stroke deal, they started with a clean sheet of paper. They designed this crazy five-cylinder engine that had three cylinders, you know, positioned in such a manner and two in the other to give a, a better weight distribution to the bike. They really, the engineers really thought outside of the box. And I think that Honda's managed to maintain that clear line of thought, Yeah. right? Yamaha had Rossi, Yeah. you know, and I think that that was the key ingredients. And, and they've had some good uh, riders over the years that have been able to, you know, even if the bike wasn't that crash hot. But now you've got so many talented riders out there that you've got to have the good machine. Mm. And... and um, the one thing that surprised me is that normally the Honda is the one that, that has got the front-end grip. Yeah. It's always the Ducati that's suffering from the front-end grip. So to see uh, Marquez lose the front uh, was a bit of a shock for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. especially on, on a low side, you know, that could have turned into a high side, but mm. um, he held on to it and just tried to, you know, edge it up with his elbow. Um, yeah. I mean, I've seen Rossi do it. I've seen Marquez do it, actually. Mm. But uh, I think, in my opinion, the guy that really stood out in this race uh, was good old boy George there, yeah. or Hey Lorenzo. Yeah. Uh, now, we touched on this last episode because I said to you, you know, his contract's up. <laughs> of course he's going to start mm. <laughs> giving Dobby the shits. And... Yeah. and uh, you know, he did it. He he led this race basically from wire to wire, mm. and where everyone was starting to struggle at the end of the race, he was. I mean, his consistency and how quick he was going towards the end of the race was unbelievable. Yeah. Dovi couldn't touch him. No, no one could touch no, him. No. So there was some discussion that maybe Rossi and Dovi, um, or Dovi made the point. Maybe they chose the wrong tire, mm. uh, possibly. Um, but you know, as much as uh, a lot of us don't like Jorge because of what he's done in the past. You got to take your hat off to him. That was a ride of the century. Mm. Yeah, you no, know, he, rode, he rode well. It was a professional ride. Mm. He was he was humble about it all. He, he um, and it was well deserved. And and I think you know if you're a Ducati now, you're going to be sort of going, what do we do? Mm. You know, yeah. you're obviously not going to pay him twelve million euro again. No, that's not <laughs> that's not going to happen. Um, but what do you do? Do you try and re-sign him for next year? It'll be interesting to see what they do because I think there's other there's other sharks in the water that are circling for him for his services as well. Yeah, I know, but he's got to think about whether he wants to try and win another championship. Mm. You're not going to like. Let's be realistic. You're not going to win it on a satellite team, and you're not going to win it on a shitty bike. Mm. You know, so um, some of the names that have been dropped. You know, I don't know whether someone of that caliber would go down that road. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, okay. It's interesting to see Vinales as well. It just really hasn't hit the heights that he early on last year he was getting, winning a few races and everything. You know, I, I just, year, just I just think the bike's not that good, yeah. you know? And I think that the thing with Rossi is he's had, over the last few years, he's had a lot of falls, mm. right? He's had, he's had broken bones from the motocross incident. You know, he's had stuff happen yeah. that would make you a little bit nervous. 
But come towards the end of the race, if there's a chance for a podium, mm. he goes to 11 tenths. Yeah. You know what I mean? He suddenly, the fear's gone and he's back to the old Rossi. Yeah. And when you consider how old he is, I mean, he's, he's 39. Yeah, yeah, just a bit younger <laughs> than me. <laughs> he's 39, yeah. you know? Um, there's riders out there that, that are less than half his age. Yeah. You know? So you take that into consideration, you can understand you know, why he would be cautious. But I think, I really think that he is uh, one of the, the, the best riders out there still. Yeah. Um, you know, I would love to, uh, I know he's going to finish out his time on Yamaha, but I'd love to see him on a bike that can really take it, you know, to, to Ducati and, and to Honda. Because mm. you can't argue those those guys, Ducati's definitely got the fastest bike out there. Yeah. And Honda, this was a, uh, but they, they did say throughout qualifying that, you know, Marquez was kind of struggling to find his feet. That track didn't really suit the bike. He couldn't get a set up. Mm. Uh, it's interesting to note that um, uh, that George basically came out and blamed all his bad riding on the fuel tank. Yeah, okay. <laughs> did you? Did no, you? I no, okay. So. So what he was saying in the, in the post-race interview, he basically said that, you know, the team, you know, got him this new fuel tank and, and now he's more comfortable on the bike. So the, the, the story going around the pits was that uh, Jorge was saying that he'd get to about half uh, race distance and he was very tired because the shape of the fuel tank didn't suit the way he rides, mm -hmm. right? And the team finally designed a fuel tank, you know, to suit his riding position and you know that that was what made the difference in this race so basically he's he's thrown all his bad performance back on the Ducati team and said you know you gave yeah. me you gave me a, a shit set up and, and that, that was a result you got I would argue that his tire choice over the last few races has, has given him the ability to go very fast at the beginning yeah. of the race and tires go off and mm -hmm. but it's going to be one of those watch this space situations um, what's very important in this is that the championship has been, you know, thrown open again yeah. because we'd all but written off Dovi, mm. right? Um, I mean, they, the commentators had written him off, mm. basically. So with Marquez not picking up any points, um, it's just changed the yeah. whole atmosphere and it's brought a bit of excitement back into it. Because yeah, it sure has. It looked like he was going to run away with the championship. Yep. Yep. Um, so we just have to wait until the next round and, and see what happens. I know he fell down the list a fair way, but Petrucci's performance I thought was pretty good as well. I know he dropped off right at the end there and led um, Iannone and Rinsby and, and Crutchlow as well, but Petrucci's performance on the Pramac uh, Ducati, that was in different livery for this race. Yeah, because um, uh, so what the deal is is that Ducati and Lamborghini are both owned by the Audi Group. Mm, that's correct. Yeah. Right. So, uh, which I was devastated when I found that. I didn't know they owned Ducati. Mm. So I'll never buy Ducati now. But anyway, <laughs> so, so um, uh, they, because Lamborghini's just down the road, they yeah. had had the, the bikes in the Lamborghini yellow livery. Mm. It's interesting that um, uh, everyone in life seems to take their, their colours and that becomes their faction, so to speak. So, yeah. so we look at... at uh, uh, red, mm. and we think of Ferrari yep. or Labor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we look at blue, and we think of Ford or Liberal. Liberal. Yeah, look at yellow, we think of Lamborghini or One Nation. <laughs> oh, Pauline did a bit of trouble, isn't she? She is. She is. What do you think about all that, Nick? Oh, look, it's repeating history repeating itself all over again. I think we've just jumped back fifteen years to where we were fifteen years ago, to be honest. What about um? <laughs> what about? <laughs> I, can't, I can't I can't spit it out without laughing my bloody hell. <laughs> Barnaby Joyce and the hundred and fifty thousand dollar. Look, I was interview. I was somewhat intrigued by it all, so I, I did watch all of it, but I watched a fair bit of it. And um, okay, so see, this is where you and I differ. You didn't um, watch any of I it. I didn't watch any of it. No, my wife I, didn't watch any of it. I, there was a certain <laughs> amount of intrigue about the whole thing for me. Really? I, I watched it, yeah. Not all, not the whole lot, but I saw it. No, I don't. See, people complain about him getting paid mm. and then they watch it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't complain about him getting paid, but I... I well, you see, the, you see the irony.
brings you to um, my next point, which isn't on the notes, and I will reserve further judgment if you don't want to talk about it. But <laughs> someone or listener has written into us and asked us what our thoughts are on the um, basically the internet purchasing and the thousand dollar GST. Oh, well, where, yeah, where, I'm more than happy to talk about this. Where, where we stand with that. So well, I don't know where you stand, but but I know where I stand. The way it works, if you own a business, mm -hmm. right now, I import, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of uh, parts and, and transmissions from the US, right? So everything I bring in, I have to pay GST on, okay? So... And they don't even, it's not a matter of, this, is, this has been a point of contention with, the, um, with customs uh, for quite some time now. It's not how much I paid for it, it's the value of it, mm -hmm. right? So I could be on a wholesale pricing and get a 10% discount, they don't care, I'm paying the GST on the value. Mm -hmm. So if the list price is plus the 10%, they, they come to me and they go, well, mate, this is this much, you've declared this much, we're going to charge a GST on this much, okay? And it doesn't matter if I bring in an item that's $1 or a million dollars, I have to pay 10% GST, not just on the item, but on the freight and on the customs, right? So it's when you add it up, it's a lot of GST. So I think that this is something that has had to happen. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I have written literally hundreds of emails and letters to uh, the Competition Commission, to uh, the, the various ministers over the years that have been in charge of this, both on a federal and a state level and my local members, because it, it makes us 10% less competitive than the rest of the world. And that's not fair, mm. right? So I think it's a good thing. Amazon, um, that, that is a joke. That is a, a complete whitewash to try and fool everyone. Amazon has Amazon Australia, mm. right? So all they're doing is making more money off you by stopping you from accessing Amazon America, mm. right? It's as simple as that. So for those of you that want to still get around the GST, if you can be bothered, to me, I reckon pay it, be done with it, move on, right? But if you want to get get around it, find someone in the US that you're mates with, have the stuff sent there, and then get them to send it to you as a present because yeah. there's no GST on presents. Mm. So uh, as far as, um, you know, the overall picture, I think this is a very, very small step, like a tiny step. The next thing that the government needs to implement, and they won't because the backers, the people that pay for the campaign funding every year, other people that are going to say, don't do that, is they need to go, okay, so in Australia, someone making steel, someone who works in a foundry making steel, gets paid 25 bucks an hour, right? The guy in China gets paid five bucks an hour, okay? So we need a 500% import duty on that steel. Mm. Because if you're telling us as employers that we have to pay a minimum wage, we have to have workers' compensation, we have to pay sick days, we have to pay holiday pay, we have to pay for public holidays, then aren't you being a hypocrite for letting a country that abuses their workers, that underpays them, doesn't let them have any holiday pay, sick leave, etc., right? Aren't you being a hypocrite by letting those products into the country? You're encouraging that sort of behaviour, but you, you, it's not allowed to happen in your own country. And this is where everyone needs to vote accordingly. And, and like I've said a million times before, don't vote red or blue because that's what you think is the right thing to do. Find the local independent. Find if he's an approachable person, if he's going to do the right thing. Find where his preferences are going to go and then look at voting for them. Don't go down that Liberal and Labor road because it's a road to nowhere. Yeah. At the end of the day, they're just going to line their own pockets. Like I said, Turnbull has had this banking Royal Commission. The banks have admitted, yeah, we've been ripping you off for years. Mate, we haven't even been using lube. We've just been jamming it up there. And now they turn around and go, oh, you can't pay cash. Well, what do you mean? You can't have cash money. No, 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 that's not on. But, well, what? So, so yeah, that's right. Bend over and take it. That's, yeah. that's what they're doing. So I think the, the, the GST, like I said, I think it's a step forward.
but I still think it's a bit of a con because you got Amazon.com.au, right? Amazon just wants you to use that because they wouldn't have spent billions of dollars to set this up and then no one uses it. Yeah. You know, the traffic needs to be redirected. That's why they've done it. So don't, don't be fooled by the bullshit that you get fed, you know. Try not to be mushrooms because that, that's, that's the problem. Most people out there are mushrooms. They're kept in the dark and fed bullshit. What, the one comment I'll make is that, some, as I said, we've had an email come through and I've seen a lot of commentary on Facebook. A uh, number of, I won't mention their names, but parts distributors in Australia that, have, that are from the US have basically said that they're not supplying parts into Australia anymore because of the GST component. And it's very difficult for them to be converted into AUD and also the GST component, or they're not prepared to do that to their internal systems. They don't need to. And, and this, is, this is why it's all bullshit, because all that happens is UPS or whoever, DHL, whoever it is, mm. they do it. Yeah. So you get a phone call. This is what happens to me. I mean, like I said, I've got, I got freight coming in every day, right? I'll get a phone call from you. We've got an account now for UPS, mm. right? Because, you know, they, they contacted us and said, hey, you guys get a lot of freight through us. So basically they ring up when the stuff's in Singapore. Yeah. It's not even in Australia yet. They ring up and they go, okay, we've got these auto parts. If there's any declarations or FTA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we've either got it on record for that supplier or for those parts because we, we import the same stuff all the time or we organise it for them, email it through to them, right? Basically just stating that the goods are manufactured in America and then we pay the GST on the, on the freight component, on the parts component and on the customs side of it. Yeah. It's not a big deal, you know? As a business owner, I have to record every single sale that I make. Mm. I have to collect 10% of that and keep it and pay it to the government at the end of the month. Mm. And I have to produce documentation to say, these are all the things that I sold. This is how much they cost. This is how much the GST component was. This is how much I'm giving you, right? So is it so hard to expect that a person that's buying something online and sitting in front of a computer anyway can't do the same thing. Mm. Go, this is what I bought. It cost $400. Is my 40 bucks. How hard's that? Is it going to change anything? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see, we'll see how many extra converters and gearboxes I sell next month. <laughs> Speaking of converters, um, Scott McLean, does he use a converter? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I um, say... Uh, there was the winter's warm-up. The winter's warm-up. It's, it's been a drag racing tradition for a very, very long time. Um, we actually had a, a few customers testing yep. some um, some stuff, new customers. All went very well, very mm. happy. Um, shout out to the guys at Precise Automatics there in, in Queensland. Yep. Um, so he has uh, rocked the door slammer world. Yeah. Running the first 550. Yeah. 70. 72 on the end. Mm. Bye, five, five, seven. Paul, Paul as well, uh, 561 on the same day. So um, the thing that, that I, you know, if I was there, what I would, um, what I'd love to know is, let's say they did three runs, what was the average of the three runs? Because yeah, I can't tell you, I only saw the run, I saw the five the five fifty. The 5.572, and I've got to tell you, it was like it was on rail. Yeah. On rail. That thing did not move from the centre. Well, you know, that, that car isn't... I mean, I've never spoken about that car because it's never really done anything that spectacular. Mm. Um, but Andra really, you know, didn't do their job <laughs> with that one because um, that car's changed all the rules with regards to the Monaro body um, because that, that actually started life as a pro stock body, which is or was completely illegal yep. in Door Slammer. It doesn't really look like a, a Pontiac GDO or a Monaro. It kind of looks like a Monaro has been run over by a steamroller. Mm. Um, so, look, it'll be interesting. He's got Darren Mayer out here. Mm. So um, DMPE, of, you know, supercharger and so on fame. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they go at, at the winters. Uh, I don't know what the conditions were like, but I know that one of my customers in Top Sportsman 
you went um, on the first day of uh, testing, you went seven, seven thirty-three, thirty-two, thirty-one, and then on the next day, first run, you went seven twenty-five. So there must be the air must be, um, yeah, you know, decent. That's for sure. Um, it's going to come down to consistency. Definitely going to come down to consistency. So, you know, I know that now it's out of Andrew's control anyway because this is an IHRA yep. slash under 400 meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. Now, they're running the, the three-round format at this. So chances are it's going to be, I mean, if he can string them together, it'll be Scotty, uh, Paul, Zap. They're the three that you would you would argue would be in the finals. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's you know you never know what's going to happen on race day. Hey. I mean, I, Sam Fennick tested as well. I don't have his figures here, but I, from what I understood, he tested quite well as well. So um, I didn't put his figures in the notes, but the, from what I understand, all went well for him too. So the 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 thing that's interesting to note is he went five fifty seven mm. and two fifty two. Mm. Right now, well now it's down a bit. Well, is it? Or is that where it should be? Mm, don't know. You know, this is this is the thing. Like, I question the mile an hour that was set here at Perth. Oh, the two sixty. Yeah. Okay. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, um, yeah I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. It's going to come down to consistency. You know, it really is going to because because you need to you need to get the points every round. You need to be able to repeat that. You don't. You can't afford to drop around. Mm. Um, and you can't afford to, like, you you basically got to win every round and try and run the quickest, you know, pass yeah. if you can to get the maximum points to go to the final. Uh, now they're actually in the Andrew side of things. There's been a few rule submissions. I um, I'll, I'll put them in there. I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on those. I, well, that, I, that's not all of them, by And this is this is the problem. We've lost a lot of history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and sadly, with George passing, yep. uh, you know, we've lost a, another big chunk of yeah. history. But the idea was that you started in Super Street. You know, your car got a bit quicker. You put a roll cage. You know, we didn't have any of these dumb rules where, you know, you could go ten zero with. And I'll tell you now, the first time one of those IRS cars rolls over and lands on the wall will be when Andrew goes. Maybe we should rethink this. <laughs> I watched the Craig Lowndes um, accident on RPN. From 1998, I think. Yeah, called the park. Yeah. And if, if that car didn't have a roll cage, old Craigie would be a bit busted up. No chance of survival. <laughs> right, so the day of VE does the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Andrew's going to have to really think about, because I, I don't agree with that. I think 11-0 was already starting to get dangerous because many, many years ago, a XY um, that the guy had fitted uh, slicks to the back and still had the radials on the front, got way out of, you know, out of control and mounted the wall. And, yeah, it was a 14-second car and mm-hmm. the guy nearly died. Yeah. So, yeah. anyway, so, you, you, got, you know, you got into the 10s, you put your roll cage in, you started sort of grappling for traction there, around that time, and that's when, when you got to the crossroads. So if you didn't want to tub the car yeah, and you wanted to get out of bracket racing, A Street was there for you, yep. right? Because in those days, strokers were, weren't that common. You know, it was a lot of work to stroke an engine. You had to offset, go on the crank. You had to run a, a conrod that had a smaller uh, journal to get that stroke, you know, by offsetting, grinding it. So it wasn't that simple. So your 308 or 351 um, combination in, you know, the, whatever the weight break was, nine point whatever uh, pounds per cube, 9.5 or something like that, um, it kind of worked pretty close if you had a 351 Falcon or you had a, a 308, you know, Monaro or Tirana or whatever, mm. right? Um, then if you wanted to go to the next level, and tub the car, you went from A Street, so that's what that class was called. It was, and in the old days, it was A Street, B Street, C Street, right? Because yep. a long, long time ago, there was no bracket racing. You had to fit into a super stock class, and you raced on an index, right? Which you know hasn't really changed now. Anyway, so the, those engines were restricted to a flat tapper camshaft, 
iron heads, you know, it's a pretty basic sort of deal. You're allowed to tub them when you moved into the MS modified sedan class, right? And then when you moved into the MP class, um, you were allowed to, you know, run engines that were more like gas engines. So aluminium heads, tunnel ram manifolds, roller camshafts, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I mean? So as, you, as your budget grew, yeah. you know, that, that was kind of the, the, the reasoning behind it. So uh, a few things here, right? So this new class that they want to bring in, from what I've been told, like I said, I haven't read it yet. I'm only getting this third hand. Uh, it's called EMS, and um, it's got this strange cubic capacity rule in it that, that is kind of limited between, you know, like 20, 20 or so cubic inches. You're allowed to run roller cams. They have to be inline valves. There's all these weird rules that you go, where are you guys going with this? They're, you know, they're allowed an aluminium head, but it's kind of like someone's got a car and gone... I'm going to write a set of rules specifically for my car. Now, I don't have a problem with that, except for when you have these classes that don't fit into the hierarchy. Yeah. Right? Because if they're the only ones running that class and they whinge enough, as we've seen before in some of the other classes, about the, the um, uh, minimum record being too quick and the minimum record eventually gets dropped, um, then, you know, they kind of got an open slather for a while until I reset the record. So it's a bit of a funny one. The one that, uh, the ones that you've printed here, the one that, um, there was two that, that, that really uh, got me. Uh, well, actually, the three that you picked all got me, but I'll start with this one. Suspension in MP. So MP is the next step from MS. So it's essentially an MS car, mm. but you're allowed a more radical engine, yep. right? Uh, suspension in MP. Sway bar may be removed, right? Now, I didn't know that it was a requirement to have a sway bar. I, I've never seen that. I've never seen anyone get pinged on not having a sway bar, right? This is a really interesting one. Cross members and or, and or K-frames may be replaced or the original may be modified for adequate sump ancillary clearance where strength is not compromised and suspension mounting points remain in their original position relative to the vehicle. I hate to tell whoever submitted this rule, but I've had a look under some MP cars and some MS cars, and guess what? They ain't got the factory K-frames, you know. So um, it'll be interesting. I, th I think this is almost, this feels almost like someone, Andra, whoever, is put this rule submission in uh, because they don't, you know, they, they suddenly realise that these cars are illegal or they're trying to backpedal. I'm not sure. Well, these are in. These, these aren't These have been These have been accepted. Yeah, yeah. Right. well, I mean, there was cars running before with tubular cross members mm. in there. Um, I'm disappointed with the competition bike. I uh, thought that, that was the one that really got my eye. Yeah, um, so they're, they're going to a, um, a shootout-style format. And, you know, like, I think this is why drag racing, you know, kind of isn't going anywhere these days in this country because we've gone away from eliminations. We've, we've really adopted this um, YZ generation, um, you know, participation certificate type of racing, um, you know, there, there really is no incentive. If you're going to go out there and do your three runs, plus your qualifiers, where's the incentive to try and win? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I think that if you've only got three or four cars, there's merit in it. Mm. But when you've got eight, 16 cars, bikes, whatever, then there is no valid reason to run it. It's yeah. dumb. It takes more time. You know, it's just... And it doesn't reward the guy who's actually winning races. You know, at the end of the night, he gets a trophy. Yeah, but the idea is that he gets in front of the crowd more and people go, oh, that bike keeps coming back yeah, out. Yeah, keeps winning. You know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So um, I disagree with it. Um, and, you know, I've often wanted to um, build something for comp bike, but now I suddenly don't want to. <laughs> anyway, it's an interesting one. I would have thought that collectively they all came to that agreement. But, but the other one is, uh, no, they, I don't know if they've got a comp bike association No, no they probably don't. But... You know what I mean? Um, I, you know, it, it, it's it's interesting because 
there's a few of my mates that race comp bike and I haven't spoken to them about this, mm. but I've noticed that they've all got their bikes for sale. Yeah, okay. So I don't know whether it's connected. But the other one that, that, that got me is the limit of two class swaps per eliminator per season, right? Mm-hmm. So if I've got four or five cars, super stock cars, you know, Andrew's saying, oh, no, you can't do that. You know, you can only, you know, do it once. <laughs> it's not a, it's not really right. They, they, well, they're trying to band-aid a problem that they've created. Yeah. You know what I mean? They need to go back to the old index system with the inputs. And that'll fix the problem, but you heard it there, folks. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> hey, a lot of people don't agree with me, but you know, one thing I did see, I, I went down to the drags last Wednesday. Yes. Um, now this is so I've been to the drags twice this season. Once to uh, run the um, uh, Camry, mm. and once I had a customer, well, I had a couple of customers down there that. Um, we're mucking around with their calves last Wednesday nights. So that's the, officially the end of the yep. uh, season. Um, so I got to watch a bit of racing. And, you know, I, I keep on getting told about how fantastic the Wednesdays are. There's a, a lot more quick cars down there. Um, you know, like there was a, a, a few nine-second um, cars. I didn't actually see any eight-second cars, but there was one car that... Blew my mind, right? <laughs> so, you know, I'm always taking the piss out of the radial scene here in WA. Um, and, you know, the Wednesday night is, is their, their glory night, I guess, mm. you know. Um, so I'm down there and this Camaro, so it's a, I think you call them a, a, a third generation yeah. Camaro, yeah. right? Um, comes down. Now, I've seen this car before. Um, I don't know a hell of a lot about the car. Mm. Uh, it's got LSX stickers, so I'm, I'm assuming that it's got a um, LS of some description in it, turbocharged, I would imagine. And it caught my eye because it's got a funny car cage in it. Right? And it, it's a very street-looking car. This car does not look like a race car, other than the parachute and, and the, the rims. Um, it looks like a street car, right? Um, and I remember watching it, when I saw it the first time, and I thought, you know, if those guys can figure out how to get all that power down on the track, that thing is going to be fast. Well, I watched it come out on the start line, did a burnout, a reasonably quiet car too, you know, not really loud, and this thing just took off me. It took off, and I'm going, holy shit, that's fast. Like, it was stupid, you know, right? <laughs> Um, and I didn't, I didn't see the exact speed and everything because the lane they were in, the, the um, uh, display uh, was kind of a bit broken, you know, which is pretty common down at the motorplex, <laughs> uh, the lack of maintenance plex. <laughs> anyway, uh, but I did see that it ran a 750. Right? Now, first things first, I, I didn't see it run any other passes. Right? It may have. Okay, I, I don't know. Secondly, that track wasn't that good. Okay, because um, you know I was watching a lot of cars that night, and most of them were not going down the track. Okay, it was very very cold. Yeah. And as you know from when we used to race, you get to dew point, it's all over. Okay, so we were hovering around dew point. Right. And for those of you that don't know, dew point is when the moisture in the air. Um, basically sticks to surfaces like the track or the car, you'll start to see you know, that layer of moisture around the roof and the bonnet and so mm. on. So we, we were hovering around dew point, right? Which, which when the moisture gets on the glue, the VHT on the track, it becomes like slippery soap pretty much, yeah. right? So this thing was gun barrel straight. It just like lifted. It, it didn't do the, you know, the typical radial giant wheel stand or anything like that. It just lifted up and took off, right? Anyway, I thought I've got to check this thing out because I didn't really, the first time I saw it, I didn't really have a good look at it, okay? Now, you know, the radial scene over here, okay? Most of the cars, not all of them, right, mm. but most of the cars in the radial scene here are basically drag cars that have got radials. Yeah. And, and you can buy um, radial DOT tyres that are basically slicks now. So I don't know what... I don't know if you just need to run because you can buy radial slicks now. I don't know if you, we used to run 
Remember, we used to run Radio 6 on the Datsun mm. back in the day. They were the only 30 by 9s. They were the only ones available back yeah. then. So I don't know what the rules are regarding what is considered a radio car and what's not or whatever, right? Um, so I walked over there um, and it was already loaded on the on the truck because the officials, apparently they don't like it when you run that fast. <laughs> they were a bit upset because um, they are all waving their arms in the air and, and so on. Uh, for me, I was still standing there with my jaw on the ground, right? So I walked over. The first thing I see, because it's, it's loaded on the truck, right in front of my face is the front brakes. And this thing's still got the big, heavy, factory, ginormous rotors and massive calipers. Like, I kid you not, Nick, there would have been 100 pounds of weight you could pull out of that car just in the front brakes. Right? And this thing's gone 750, and I'm thinking, how fast could this thing, you know, potentially go? It looked like it was fairly standard suspension. It looked like all the factory panels were there, you know. It looked like there was, a, if not all the glass, there was a hell of a lot of glass. Mm. It looked like a streetcar. Like, it was not your typical, you know, aluminium-dashed, Lexan-windowed, fiberglass-panelled, yeah. you know. It, this thing, like, I reckon you could put... Uh, plates on it and drive it down the road and aside from the funny car cage you know no one's going to really like yeah like think that's a seven or not that's that's a mid seven set like a solid mid seven second car anyway so blown away absolutely blown away so it is a pretty big deal <laughs> and and it is great to see something that you know looks heavy um running that fast yeah. over here. And and I kid you not, it was on a 275. It was a, it was a you know like a, a treaded 275 DOT um, tire. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Now the, I mentioned before watching the Craig Glounds interview. Mm. Yep. Right. So it was on RPM on the weekend. Um, I actually watched it a couple of times because I found it intriguing, um, you know, certain aspects of it. Uh, now, I don't know if you did. Did you get a chance to watch it? No, I didn't. Okay, so so when um, Craig and Scaife were racing together, they had a um, a guy who was repeatedly calling uh, Scaifey and uh, telling him that that he was going to uh, bump off him and Craig. So much so that um, the team hired. A, a bit of a bodyguard, I guess. Big guy that used to yeah. sort of, you know, always be around Craig, make sure. Anyway, so the cops got the guy, mm -hmm. right? And he, he went to jail. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then sometime later, Scafy was walking back to his car at Queensland Raceway. And um, apparently uh, the car park at Queensland Raceway, uh, back in those days, you know, like everyone just parked next to everyone. And he's chatting to this guy um, as he's walking back to his car. And the guy fills him in that um, he was the guy that went to jail. Really? <laughs> yeah. That made old Scaffy feel pretty uncomfortable, I mean. I imagine. <laughs> so um, he, he had, had some uh, really kind words to say about uh, Peter Brock mm. and about his first uh, year at Bathurst, um, how he's well off the pace. Um, and Brocky talked him around the lap and, you know, he ended up, I think he finished second mm. uh, first year out. So remarkable effort. But did you know that uh, Lounsey had aspirations of driving Formula One? Yeah, yeah. In 97, he actually went over to Europe. So kind of, he kind of had that crash in 97 because he spent 97 in Europe. No, I think it was, yeah, 96 or 98 or something was yeah. a crash. Yeah. yeah. So, so what happened was... He went over there and he drove, a, I think it was a Formula 3000. That's correct. Yeah. Okay, so he was actually um, the teammate for uh, Montoya, mm. one Pablo Montoya. Yep, yep, the Colombian. Yep, yep. and um, it was, a, I believe, an Austrian team, right? And uh, so there was, a, there was a bit of a communication problem, and they only had one engineer for both the cars, and they ended up just giving him the setup that Montoya preferred mm. and he struggled Montoya finished I think third in the points and you know Lounsey ended up down the bottom come the end of the season um, Tom Walkinshaw was his manager 
Mm. And Tom said, look, you know, um, we're happy to continue next season, um, but it's, you know, you're going to have to come up with the cash to run the car. How much do you think to, to, to get a drive of a Formula 3000 in the late 90s cost? No, no idea. Yeah, have a stab. I'm going to go with two. Two. Million. Two, oh, no, no, not that much. No? No, no, no. One million Australian wow. to drive a, a Formula 3000 in the European. Mm. Um, so Craig would have had to have come up with that money, which, um, you know, he, he decided plan yeah. B, drive V8s. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, I was saddened at the time when that happened, to be honest. I thought that he was our, because <clears throat> Mark Webber was still a few years away at that point, and I thought that, you know, Lounsey well, his debut in 1994 at Bathurst was, you know, something that we'll always remember. And I was always, I remember being disappointed that he wasn't able to make it in Europe. I think that he would have been better off going to America because he's got mm. that real witchy Cunningham, you know, apple pie sort of face. He you does, know I mean? yeah. Yeah, he sure, he sure does. You know, you could picture him at Indy with the milk. You know what I mean? <laughs> perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Having a big skull of the milk, you know, <laughs> that, that boy next door kind of look. Yeah, no, I'm hearing you. <laughs> Speaking of the US, NHRA, I just wanted to quickly touch on the NHRA. Um, this week we had the um, JEGS Route 66 NHRA Nationals. John Falls had another massive blow-up in, in um, qualifying. Let's have a listen to John Falls here. He had um, some really interesting things to say about that. It blew the tires off. I, I thought it broke an axle. It made such a right turn on me. Uh, but it'll do that when it strikes a tire. It made me ride, it put me into the wall, and I got it off the wall, and then it, the body must have went down on the front tire because it sucked me into the wall like three times. Boom, boom, it kept hitting my shoulder. This race car will not ever beat me. You understand? It's my best friend and it ain't treating me right, but you gotta take care of it, you gotta get it right. And I will never give up on it until it kills me. And that's a God's truth. Some stirring words there. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> you need to get Austin Call back, John. <laughs> Did you see the, the incident? Basically, the body, he's had a, he's had a blow-up and the body's come up off the, off the car. And look, I did, I don't know, when it's landed back on the car, it's hard to tell, but it's obviously pulled him into the wall. It's just kept hitting the wall, hitting the wall. So, yeah, pretty scary for him. He was, he was the, you know... I've asked this question on numerous occasions to um, nitro tuners, right? The things squash the bearings, they do all sorts of horrible things, they push mm. air gaskets, blah, 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 they blow up with regularity, right? Why don't they just design an engine <laughs> that's built to handle the nitro? Yeah. You know, and their argument is that it'll just break something else. Mm. Um, you know, th this is uh, on RPM. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, they were talking about how much it cost to test, right? So I think it was the Erebus team that they were talking to. And on average, two cars, two drivers, pit crew on a test day, $50,000, right? Now, they, they were kind of whinging about this, and this is why it's good that they've got limited test days, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so in Australia, not running at the extreme level, top fuel, one driver, one car, $14,000 a lap if mm. you're a budget team. Yeah, it's crazy. They, got, they haven't got the $5 million worth of sponsorship that the touring car guys have got. $14,000 a lap. So you go down and you do three passes, right? And, and, and you've spent the same amount of money, basically, as a touring car team has on a day of testing mm. with two cars, you know? Unbelievable. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the blow-ups, you know, they've tried everything yeah. to, to try and limit these guys. It's <laughs> Drag racing has changed so much in the last few years, like in the last few years. I was having a discussion today with an engine builder and I said to him, you know, you, you keep on pushing the NA scene. Um, it's not where the bread and butter is anymore. Mm. You know, I mean, this turbo LS scene is where it's at, yeah. you know. 
And I, and I guess you've got to look at what the next thing's going to be because if your business relies on selling performance parts or getting performance parts, you know, is the new Commodore mm. going to be the new thing? VCM suite, uh, I, I saw some stuff that Mario wrote today. Today, yeah, that came out today. Mm. He was uh, talking about the BMW and the Mercedes being the, the European cars being the emerging market, mm. you know? Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, where, where do you go? And with Top Fuel, um, like, if you, if you look back 20 years ago, no, EFI was like, you know, barred, mm. you know what I mean? Um, and I remember when, when I got into the sport 30 years ago, EFI and Turbo was something that was exciting for me. Because, yeah. you know, my background is the VW scene. Mm. And that was in back then. Yeah. You know, tur they turbocharged everything. Mm. Uh, so it was barred. You know, it was like, no way is that ever going to happen. Now we're seeing, you know, Pro Mod, for example, which used to be dominated by the nitrous cars. And then the blower cars came along. And now you've got the EFI turbo cars in there. So are we getting closer to the point where we start to use those types of systems in top fuel to restrict the number of blow-ups to yeah. bring make it cost effective you know could you have potentially uh devices on the cars to stop it from blowing up to make it safer mm. right so let's say we do all of that okay uh scotty mclean's run 557 right you said to me dead eye mm. straight yep bullseye yep right um did it look exciting no <laughs> right so this is the problem, like, it's great to have all this technology, okay? But these sorts of explosions, the, 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 the awe of, of just this, you know, ridiculous thing trying to get controlled and manhandled down the track, and even after it's buying up, still trying to kill the driver. Mm. Right? That's what attracts the people yeah. to the racetrack. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, you know, you don't want to see anyone get hurt. That's, mm. that's uh, for sure. But um, it's interesting. Tommy Johnson Jr. also had a big blow up as well. Yeah, well, it's mean, pretty common, mm. you know. And the, people have been hurt with the bodies, the body parts. Now yeah. they're tethering uh, the bodies in, in different sections. But, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a big sheet of carbon fibre. Yeah. Um, but look, on, on the bright side, uh, Robert Hyde. Yeah. First win. First win for the yeah for the for the season. Given he's the reigning champion, took him nine rounds this year. Yeah, to get a win. Yeah. So you know it's one. It's a case of uh, you lose some, you win some mm. for for the John Force team there. Yeah, yeah, certainly was. And it was really talking of losing some and winning some. Jack Coblin Jr. We have not seen him win. I didn't realize it was this long. Two thousand and fourteen was the last time we saw Jack Coblin Jr. win in a pro stock car. That is. Uh, took the win on a look at that double zero six light. Yeah, I know against well, Greg Anderson's. It was a wire to wire, like yeah, yeah. Greg went red. Mm. Um, you know, I don't know if Greg rolled off early with that six fifty nine, but um, didn't appear to. No, two oh nine. He wouldn't have washed off much mile an hour. No. So it is interesting to note that from the switch to EFI, I haven't really haven't seen these <laughs> massive. No, no. <laughs> Performance, you know, yeah. uh, that, that a lot of people predicted. Mm. Um, if anything, they went backwards for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, all right, um, we'll bring this show to an end. Um, tell your friends about us, share us, um, subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Listen Notes, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Sponsors. Support our sponsors because, look, I mean, without them, they we weren't we wouldn't be able to do the Camry build and, and a whole lot of other fun thing, fun things that we've done in the past. So, all fast torque converters, shift kits Australia, WA suspensions, benzene detailing, monster torque, performance turbos, taps, race pipes, CRD nitrous. So, also, WA hot rod and street machine spectacular in two weekends' time. So. Heading off to that? I, I will be there. Yes, yep, definitely, 100%. Yep. And also, thanks to Channel 7 for uh, 
plagiarising <laughs> my video footage on today and tonight, this evening. Yeah, so if you saw uh, Cars and Coffee, mm. um, the footage was courtesy of uh, Chambray and Talk and Power. Not, not all of it, but there was a fair bit of it. And uh, <laughs> Thanks, thanks, Jim. So the, what happens there? Does Stacey pay some royalties now? I don't know. Do you get some? Do you get credit at West Track? Look, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's helping out Jason and his team at... Uh, Custom cars and yeah. coffee. So yep. look, anything you know, look, guys, are, say we're tongue in cheek, but yeah, it was a fair bit of talking power footage there, and the logo good. down the bottom. Free advertising. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just while I was talking, I was just quickly went on Facebook to see if there was any comments, and we've had a bit of a spike on the Facebook page. So it's obviously worked. <laughs> thanks, thanks Stokesy. Yeah, thanks, Stokesy. <laughs> All right, Simon. Thanks for coming in tonight. Thanks, Nick. All right, take care. We'll see you soon. See you on the street. Yeah. Power stresses all characters and events on this podcast, even those based on real people are entirely fictional. All celebrity voices are impersonated poorly. We do not encourage street racing or the use of turbochargers.